Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your new bub, B, and today I'm joined by the author of Finna, a book that I went to look through and like annotate and write up some questions about last night, and then I just spent like three hours reading it and crying and falling in love with it all over again. Um, that author's name is Nino Cipri. Hi, Nino. Hi! <laughs> it's really unfair of you to just ambush me like that. Compliments. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's unfair that you wrote such a neat book about becoming, or like learning to be friends with your ex when you both work at an Ikea where a wormhole has just opened up. I feel like that's a a fair... No, that's a great, that's a great one-liner for it, yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to, do you want to sort of introduce yourself and talk about the book a little bit? Sure. Hi, I'm everyone out there. Hi, I'm Nino. <laughs> um, let's see, I am a writer, obviously. I write fiction, mostly... Uh, long form fiction actually these days I somehow managed to make the transition from being a short story writer into being a novelist I don't know how it happened though so I am mostly known for writing stories that are about uh, queer and trans people trying to live their normal ass lives and both the world and the universe just kind of keeps interfering with them so I bounce around different genres a lot I write science fiction obviously I write a little bit of fantasy I write horror as well um, and I'm more recently starting to make inroads into writing YA as well. Um, I can't really give a lot of details about that, but I will be writing YA stuff in the future, um, which is very fun and very exciting. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> so Finna is a, it's a novella. Um, I originally wrote it actually as a screenplay and it is about, as B said, uh, two exes who happen to be working in the same shitty, uh, not Ikea and a wormhole opens up. And of course they have to go through it to find a customer that has accidentally stumbled into it while also dealing with all their shit. <laughs> yes. I getting getting back to it last night and rereading the scene where um, they have to or they get chosen. Well, Jules volunteers and then Ava gets chosen because she has the least seniority was felt very real um, in a <laughs> uh, yeah as yeah. a retail worker. Mm-hmm. We used to call that getting voluntold as a when I was nice. still doing retail retail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Cool. Uh, do you want to? Okay, we should do a reading if you want to do a reading. Let's do a reading? Would you like to do okay. a reading? <laughs> I would love to do everything. Wait, I lost my page. How did I manage to lose my page? Okay, there we are. So this is from, I believe, the first chapter? Yeah, this is from the first chapter. And this is after that they have already found out that there is a missing customer. Somebody has come into the like customer service center and said, hey, my grandmother is missing. I don't know where she went. Can you help me find her? Um, and Ava has volunteered to go off and try to find this missing woman. The Nihilist Bachelor's room was one of the smallest show apartments. Tiny kitchenette, a fold-out desk beneath a loft bed, fake exposed brick along the walls. A single brown leather chair sat in front of a flat-screen TV. Ava thought briefly of Jules' studio, which wasn't much bigger, but infinitely more comfortable. Jules had refused to buy anything except a set of plays from Littenwald, and had furnished it from estate sales and goodwill trips instead. Everything at work is part of a set with everything else they'd explained, and I don't fit into any of those sets. Ava realized that the two of them had been standing and staring at each other. She turned on her heel and said, maybe she wandered into housewares. Am I that awful to be around? Jules asked. There was something raw in their question, something flushed and bruised, radiating hurt. You can't even stand being in the same room as me. I thought you wanted to be friends. Had Ava said that? Probably. That's what you were supposed to say when you ended a relationship with someone you couldn't hate but didn't know how to love, either. Please don't be so dramatic about this, Ava said, trying to keep her voice cool. Me? You switched your entire schedule around so, we'd never, so you'd never see me again. And you're calling me dramatic? I think it's reasonable to want some space. If it was so reasonable, some distant, detached part of her wondered, why was she acting so defensive? Oh, yeah. Why, indeed. <laughs> um, okay, here's a question. And I'm sure you've gotten variations of this question a million times, so apologies in advance. But during the nihilistic, uh, nihilist bachelor's dorm there, I, I did do some highlighting of, you know, the, the pan-Asian appropriating white yoga instructor um, set and Her Majesty's Romper Room. There's excellent names. And I was wondering this time through, I think I assumed the first time that these were the official names of the Littenwald uh, thing. But it might be that they're not, in fact, that these are the nicknames. I don't know if that's like... 
um, the kind of world building you think of or do while you're writing, but... Um... Uh, no, it's a totally fair question. And unfortunately, it's not the kind of world building that I think about when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And then sort of have to like think about afterwards. Um, because like I mentioned, I'm, I'm currently writing the sequel to Finna and I'm really struggling with what the rooms are called and if these are the actual official room names. Mm-hmm. Um, when I originally conceived it, I definitely, I think, assumed that this was just like a shorthand that the different workers would probably use. Um, and there would probably be like a lot of different nicknames. I'm sure like Lindvall does not strike me as the kind of company that um, has that much like either self-awareness or like ability to laugh at itself because so few companies that you actually would ever work for do. And so I think this is sort of a way of just sort of like asserting a little bit of attitude into Ava's kind of like day-to-day work. Totally. That yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um yeah, I think I when I was thinking it was official, I was thinking of it more as like the sort of like the way ironic detachment gets corporatized and so it's like, oh, we we're doing this ironically. So millennials will buy our shit basically. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um <laughs> God, that's just making me think of like the Arby's account um, yes, on Twitter. Yes, 100%. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, and this is actually something that other people have asked me about too, because I feel weird saying this about my own work, but there's a lot of humor in this novella. Um, it's funny as it, shit. Thank you. <laughs> but like, I feel like it's, I feel bad like saying, oh, I wrote this thing and it's funny. Like, well, you know, you all be, be the judge of that. But like, you know, humor is definitely a coping mechanism. And it was always a coping coping mechanism for me when I was working in, you know, I had like a series of shitty jobs for the most part, not all shitty, but mostly shitty for about, oh, wow. Yeah, like the last 20 years, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had, I've had very few jobs where I was like, objectively, this is not a shitty job. Um, like everything about this is okay. But like for so much of that, like humor was the main way that I coped with it because it was like, well, I could laugh about this or I could quit. And if I quit, I, you know, don't have money. <laughs> I, then I don't have money. Then I'll, yeah. I will lose my apartment. I won't be able to pay rent. I won't be able to buy groceries. Like, and this was always like, it was basically like the only kind of refuge I had as being somebody who was broke for pretty much like the entire time between like 2011 to like 2000, basically until like two months ago <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I finally managed to get my shit together. Excellent timing. I know, right? Literally, the like, it was real weird realizing that I would actually be able to like have enough money to live on for a while while like about a third of my friends were losing their jobs. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot. Um, but so there's like weird different strains of humor and like the humor that like I, I took refuge and Ava takes refuge in in this story is a way of just sort of like keeping yourself going. So in that way, it's like poking fun at people who control you, but also it's just like, it's a coping mechanism that doesn't, in the end, really serve her, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, like, we can use humor to kind of like laugh at the things that are terrorizing us, um, or controlling us or oppressing us. But like, at the end, like, we have to do more than just sort of laugh at it. And that's sort of where I think like that uh, strain of irony that you were talking about comes in, like, when you make some, when you laugh at something, it seems less threatening, and sometimes that's good, but also sometimes that doesn't really serve you as well. Right. It's it gives you a sense of control that like you like many of us desperately need often because um, things are very out of our control um, as you know workers and trans people and shit like that. Like, but also it doesn't actually change the power dynamics at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Objective <laughs> conditions are a real thing, and they really, yeah. really are. <laughs> Yeah. Were you a labor organizer? I feel like I saw that on a... I was, a, okay. yeah. Um, so let's see. I started, like like I said, I worked like shitty jobs for most of my life. Um, starting in 2013, I was working for um, Chicago's like citywide bike share, uh, which is called Divi. I, I know that they have one in the Bay Area as well. I don't remember what it's called at this point. But so that was like one of those terrible like public-private partnerships where it's run by a private company and receives public funds and is actually run like a shitty startup mm-hmm. so it was like a real like maelstrom of like horrible labor practices <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything about it was bad um so i started working there in 2013 and just like real bottom of the rung i think I, my first job there was like as a field technician which was like i went over i biked around the city and looked at bikes to make sure that they weren't broken nice and among other things like you know they had a lot of issues with safety they had really pretty wild pay disparities for people doing the exact same jobs like getting paid two or three dollars more than another person in the same position 
depending on how your manager liked you. Uh, they had horrible favoritism. Cool. And it was, oh yeah, all these things. <laughs> they kept everybody at the minimum wage for that job that was actually allowed by the city for a long time. Past the point they said that they would give us all raises. They kept everybody part-time. Like So it was just sort of like, begging to have a union formed for a long time. And at some point, I think in like August or something, maybe of 2014, we found out, all the workers found out that we would not be getting raises because a bike share company in New York had unionized and they were going to get all of the raises. And so we're like, oh, well, we should also form a union. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's how you, if that's what it takes, I guess that's what we're going to do. So mm-hmm. that was like... What followed was probably some of the, like, hardest, like, maybe some of the worst, like, year and a half of my life where I was trying to organize a union, um, feeling really isolated. I was not out as trans. Uh, I was barely out as queer and only to, like, some of my coworkers. And so it was just, like, it was a really rough time. Yeah. And so I went from that to grad school, which, <laughs> like, and I was, like, while I was in grad school, I'm like, you know, I'm actually really thankful that I had all of these experiences as a labor organizer, you know, working myself into the ground and having to research all of these things on the fly and like not really receiving a whole lot of support for any of the things that I want to do <laughs> yeah yeah um, that, that doesn't sound like grad school at all I know right <laughs> and actually no I feel like I should say like grad school was like my department the people that I was working with were much better than that mm-hmm. the institution as a whole was pretty awful as well um, and so like I mean I think two months after I got into grad school the university was basically like hey you know how that health insurance you have well that's going away sorry cool. it's not our fault <laughs> and I was like it's like it's like the universe doesn't want me to just ever give this shit up so yeah so yeah so i i spent most of the time from like 2014 to 2019 being involved in unions and union organizing and labor organizing in some capacity generally just like straight rank and file organizing meetings and putting together powerpoint presentations and telling people who made literally like 10 times my yearly salary that they were assholes yeah (laughs) that sounds i mean at least a little gratifying (laughs) some of it was it was also like horribly stressful so much of the time i'm still so glad that i did that work and it taught me so much and also i have so many more gray hairs than Mm. i would otherwise (laughs) because of doing that and i have i have so much respect for people who can actually like sustain that as a life rather than just like doing it for six months and burning and burning out yeah because i know that happens that happened to me and i know it happens to a lot of other people yeah it's i have been having a lot of conversations about burnout in my um in my circle of of comrades recently uh Uh, there's a lot going on right now and people are doing way too much and building up like even just informal networks of support and being like hey let me cook some food for you or whatever is Uh is hella important right now (laughs) and always Uh, yeah i mean like just being like helping people make sure that their basic needs are met is huge like and then also like having to make sure that your own basic needs are met on on top of that yep (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Seems fake, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we should be talking about your book, though. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that was my that was my fully fully my sidetrack. Um, okay, from the bit you read, I that it sort of sets up um, Ava and Jules' relationship really well. Like, I, I'm glad that you chose that bit but on this reread one of the things I, I that sort of clarified for me is how i yeah rereading it I, I i think i paid more attention to the the bits you talk about what um ava and jules's relationship actually looked like prior to them breaking up and i feel like you did a very good job of writing two people whose like burgeoning friendship does not change the fact their relationship probably kind of sucked like <laughs> Like it was, it seems like a genuinely unhealthy relationship that you draw out basically in like bits of dialogue and characterization over the course of the whole book and don't like, it's not like, oh, here's a flashback to when they were mad at each other or whatever. And I just wanted to shout out like how, how well that worked for me this time around, because you're, you're it's not like painting like, oh no, it was a perfect relationship that just had, was doomed to fail. It was like a fucked up relationship that failed. And then people are working together again. These two folks are trying to make it work in a way it didn't before. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, I really wanted to write a queer relationship that was not necessarily a romantic relationship. And I don't remember exactly why that like got into my head that that was like the sort of arc that I wanted to have. I mean, part of it is probably like, uh, when did I start writing this? I think I started writing this in like early 2018, maybe late 2017, um, which, 
yeah, probably early 2018. And like I had gone through a breakup, like not very long before that. I had been together with somebody for about a year and a half, I believe, maybe close to two years. Um, and then we are really our relationship just sort of fell apart, like the ways that relationships do. And I'm still friends with this person. Like we like <laughs> she actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I like told her like, uh, just so you know, just like there's, there's maybe some stuff that you might recognize, like, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was fine. Like she actually came to the reading that I did in Chicago. It was really cool, but like relationships end and there's not always like a bad person in a relationship. And I feel like, especially in a lot of like queer and trans communities that I've been in, like you can't just break up with somebody and then divorce them for your entire life. Like, yeah. I mean, you can do what I tend to do, which is just like, I tend to move after I break up with somebody. <laughs> I don't recommend that though. And I don't actually do that on purpose. If you want to keep the same community that you have, like you can't just refuse to engage with or interact with this person. So I really wanted to write a relationship that was about, um, two people who like were not meant to be in a romantic relationship um, but like you fall in love with somebody and you don't always know that <laughs> yeah. you don't always know that until like oh it becomes really really apparent that's what I wanted to do that was the relationship that I wanted to write and to sort of see like the ways that people have to like hold each other accountable and like actually work through their shit and talk and communicate um, and sort of like re literally rebuild a relationship so that they can learn to kind of like dig their way out of the rest that they build. Yeah. Yeah. While also, you know, like fighting carnivorous furniture and yeah. like <laughs> running away from retail zombies. <laughs> yes. Okay. My brain is pulling in two directions. So how about this one? Um, you bring up like, uh, you know, queer community in like, even in major cities is notoriously like small and tight knit. Often you hang out with somebody and then you find out like, oh, they were like, they had sex with like my ex. <laughs> like you know six years ago and like we all know each other somehow that's terrifying and also very nice sometimes but weird but there's like not really a queer community in 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 finna like it's there's kind of not really like i mean it's it's a novella it's very short it's basically like four distinct set pieces that come together into something very beautiful but like i don't know did you was that a thing like you've thought about or is that is the sequel all about the beautiful blossoming <laughs> queer community and <laughs> Uh, I feel weird. (laughs) So how am I going to answer this? First off, yes, you're correct. There's not really a community aspect in um, Infinite. It's very much focused on the two protagonists. And part of that is just like, yeah, like you said, it's it's a novella. It's short. It has to be really kind of like hyper focused. And because like at at that time, I really did want to write a story about a relationship, like a a relationship between two people, I guess, like and their dynamic. If you want to talk about craft stuff, like it definitely does get more complicated and usually longer. If the more named characters that you introduce, like your your story becomes more complex, and that's a good thing. But it's not necessarily like the really quick, really fast paced trajectory that I was trying to do with Finna. So the sequel. Um, <laughs> You also super don't have to answer that if you don't want to. <laughs> no, but it's a good question. It's a good question. And I do want to talk a little bit about the sequel because I'm oh, yeah. currently writing it and I'm trying to like make sure that I stay excited about it while I'm also <laughs> like dragging myself through like the process of writing a first draft, which is always terrible. But I did want to get into that a little bit more with the sequel and like get into, you know, some different kind of dynamics, like particularly around like finding community. So the sequel is not actually about Jules and Ava, um, which I know at least my mom is going to be really mad about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she she finished reading it and she like came in she's like hey i need you to do something and i was like thinking that she was gonna ask me to like turn the compost pile or something i was like oh sure whatever and she's like i need you to write a sequel because i need to know what happens to ava and Zul. and i was like oh no <laughs> mom <laughs> you can't ask me that uh so the sequel is actually about a incredibly minor character in finna that does not appear at all in the actual narrative and that's Derek the worker that calls in sick um and is fucking Derek fucking Derek (laughs) fucking Derek calls in sick and that is the reason that Ava has to go into work on the day that she does so the sequel stars Derek um who is once Jules and Ava are both gone he is now the lowest ranking employee at the store so he is 
asked to stay overnight for a special inventory shift and things go a little bit awry um and to save the day what happened like who comes but an entire team of Derek's from other universes huh. to help out with his inventory and to save him from a whole bunch of uh, carnivorous furniture. So, <laughs> so I don't know if I can really call that queer community because it's just iterations <laughs> of yourself. Uh, and now I'm wondering if that's like maybe a little bit, uh, you know, problematic. But you know what? We're not going to worry about that right now. Because also, like, I did want to kind of talk about, like, yeah, finding community, finding, you know, your found family and all of these other kind of, like, relationship dynamics that are also present in the, like, in the queer and trans community. Like, because I think that's also really important. That also really deserves to have stories written about those relationships. Yeah. So that was a really long-winded answer to your vague question. I'm sorry. I mean, that's how it goes, right? <laughs> I'm going to do another vague one because uh, it, <laughs> if I said it out loud, it would be literally spoiling the climax of the book. So, yeah, the wormholes lead to multiverses, I guess, in Finna. I don't remember if we've said that explicitly. And there's a moment where a character is actively witnessing all of, uh, I mean, it's Ava. Ava is seeing all of her, like, uh, the other possibilities happening around her of the same moment that she is currently in. And I remember, like, genuinely just putting the book down and being like, this is maybe, like, the strongest metaphor for, like, anxiety and depression I've ever seen put down on the page uh, in a very... And it's, like, partially strong because it's kind of, like, goofy. Um, (laughs) Like, like it's a very intense moment, but... (laughs) I mean, I think Finna, you can say a lot of things about Finna. I don't think anybody's ever going to argue that it's a very subtle story. (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's not i'm not a subtle person i don't know i respect subtlety so much i just don't know how to replicate it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's i mean but like i think finna would be worse if it was more subtle honestly like that's not what it's going for Um, (laughs) not even a little bit but yeah i just i just wanted to shout out that i don't know part of this is uh, you know trying to convince our listeners they should read this book and i'm gonna say best science fictional metaphor for anxiety and depression i personally have ever witnessed Mm mm-hmm if that's not a hard sell, what is? <laughs> uh, I mean, Plus, it's the, gay. <laughs> it's so queer. Well, I mean, I've um, have I written queerer things than this? It's really like I, yes, I just really wanted it to be like extremely gay, extremely queer, um, full of feelings about queerness and you know gender and like the utter shittiness of working retail. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But with that, with that one scene, like, you know, it it took me a while to kind of like figure out what I really wanted Ava's character arc to look like, especially because I was like also not going for this romantic trajectory for her and Jules, like that was not on the table. Um, So I had to kind of figure out like, okay, so what is the kind of big climactic moment if I'm writing a character like this character in particular and I think like you know throughout the story like talking so much about Ava's like mental health like her depression her anxiety like uh and also just like like how she deals with those like along with her material conditions of being poor and like not having a good support network and being heartbroken as well so like what I really wanted to do was just to see like yes like not like this is somebody who's overcoming any of those things because it's still present and it like it doesn't really change you know like I said like the material condition that she is dealing with but I did want her to just be like able to just sort of like see all of these things and like say like yes all of this stuff has happened but you know what thanks to living with anxiety and depression for literal years at this point I know how to actually deal with it like and I know how to keep moving um which I think was like the thing that it took me personally the longest to learn to just like okay I can actually like I can understand like what I need to do to get out of literally this hole that I have dug for myself yeah 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 also since we're a second ago we're listing off good things also and very anti-capitalist um I I love the uh the little joke that I think is just uh, I think it toward the beginning Jules just says capitalism and then like toward the end Ava just says capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an excellent little like uh structural thread just right through the whole thing. Uh-huh. Thank you. I love that that was like one of the in jokes I was really proud of. And it's just like I I wanted to acknowledge like that this is you know definitely because of this one store being so incredibly awful like like a particularly awful place to work but it's also not that different from like any of the other retail places that you could work and a lot of that is also just like yeah we're it's it's an entire system it's not 
just this one particular instance. Um, and I get into that again a little bit more in the sequel, hopefully. But just like, this goes a lot bigger and a lot further than just like the particular moment that we're in. like Right, or like one shitty manager or like... Yeah, know. yeah. Um, and I feel like... I mean, like, it's very mu- I'm very much an anti-capitalist at, at heart. Like, uh, I'm also trying to find my own way out of out of and through this, like, weird and horrible system. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to do was just, like, show that, I guess, revelation of just, like, it's more than just, like, I'm having a bad day at work. It's that my job sucks. Actually, it's not just that my job sucks. It's that this entire place sucks. Oh, actually, it's not just that this store sucks. It is that this whole system is horrible and bad and there are other ways out there to live and have been and we can find them yeah on this reread i also noticed uh i th- i don't remember why i didn't like pick up on this last time or the first time maybe it was because i was just so emotional about friendship and exes because that's a, <laughs> a big thing for me mm-hmm. um, i am a strong advocate if you if you have an ex and you are not friends with them uh you should be unless it's, you're not friends with them for a very good reason working through stuff with an ex is uh, incredibly weird and so specific and hard and it can be very 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 worth it but i was thinking of the um you said ahead of time that you're going to be reading from the instructional video uh at the, uh, the final uh, yes the final reading. so we'll get to that eventually but there is a moment around that where um the manager mentions that the like division that is was meant to deal with wormholes was uh, cut during the great recession mm-hmm. and then there's a moment later when ava finds a world that is not um not exclusively filled with carnivorous furniture uh, <laughs> where she's like <laughs> i wonder how much of them cutting the the like the finna division actually had to do with people just being like oh wait there's other worlds out here where the shit doesn't suck as bad as ours uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. which yeah also a good anti-capitalist critique of just like oh yeah they will take an excuse to quash dissent um <laughs> and be like ah oh, we just don't have it in our budget anymore <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah, there was there was that like there was this idea of also just like keeping people contained, like keeping people in their weird separate little worlds, quashing dissent by like you know by getting rid of this like one particular division that was like going out and venturing into these places. But also like you see this a lot with workers who are trying to organize, like they are discouraged from forming like strong friendships with the people that they work with like they want them to be a team but they want a team that is only working for the benefit of this company and not for necessarily each other right um and not necessarily like always supporting each other when they're like oh man i am now going through this like completely bogus like disciplinary procedure because i was late twice like Mm -hmm. i set up this whole other like extremely unsubtle metaphor like talking about like how this corporation like actually created this device that's called a finna it just basically like stealing all of these little pieces from all of these other worlds putting them together and just kind of like slapping a label on it but always wanting it to keep things contained and keep things separated so you don't get to explore you don't get to build these connections with other people and like you're just kind of cut off always so that's this is also a literal description of like not ikea right yeah. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> like here's your one path through this place you can see a bunch of different sets of like pre like pre-designed things you can purchase from them and then you can leave and like go off into your own isolated home <laughs> yeah oh man this is now just like making me sad <laughs> <laughs> It's too real. It's all too real. I know I wrote it, but... I mean, it's... I don't know. It's This is one of the reasons I, I like, really appreciated and, like, wanted to have this conversation is, like, it is a, like, a romp, a goofy, like, friend story, and it's also, like, a very well-constructed book in ways that, like are deeply not obvious because we usually take well-constructed to mean serious and literary or whatever. But like, yeah, you can describe this book as, you know, three big set pieces and some gay shit. Or you could talk about how it looks through a lens of atomization and quashing dissent. I could probably phrase this better if I had spent like literally more than three minutes thinking about it. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very rich book. And uh, yeah. I think people should read it. If I'm in your ears right now, you should probably read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really need to like build up my own confidence when talking about my own work, but I was raised in New England. You can't say anything nice about yourself or anything that you have done. Like you're just not that's just not that's not okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, please buy my book. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> This is, this is part of the problem I'm having is, uh, yeah, ins- like I said at the top, instead of rereading it and, like, taking notes, I, like, highlighted three things and then just fell completely into the book again. So I don't actually have, like, 
questions. <laughs> I'm just like kind of spitballing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the when you said the citywide bike share thing, is that like what what is that actually? Is that like the lift bikes and shit like that they have now, or like yeah. this is was okay. that would have been pre app? It would have been pre app, I think. Yes, it would have been pre-app. Um, so yeah, I started working for this company in um, 2013 when they were, I believe, called Alta Bicycle Share. Um, and they were running, um, they had one contracts in like Chicago and New York and Washington, D.C. and Boston, the Bay Area, a couple of other places. And they never, literally never wanted to be a bike share company. Um, <laughs> so I'm not like, I don't remember everything about this because this was like, you know, seven years ago at this point and they didn't really know what they were doing so they were just like well i guess we'll just figure it out on the way like as we're doing it which is a, <laughs> frankly terrible business model yeah for, especially for your workers um so they got bought out by another company or they changed hands somehow and that was in like i want to say like 2014 maybe early 2015 and became motivate bicycle share uh they were like the CEO of that company was actually the former president of, I believe, like the MTA and his name was Jay. He was this like weird millionaire and it was, he was so creepy. Like he was just a kind of genuinely like awful, weird, rich person. Um, <laughs> like I like had the, like I encountered him a couple of times and every time I was just like, no, I don't like this. Um, sometime in like 2016 or 2017, Motivate got bought out by Lyft. Last I heard about it, they had, of course, cut a... They had just, like, laid off a whole bunch of people because of the coronavirus outbreak. And that's the last I have really kept up with that one. I'm just like, man, I am so sorry. And I hate that a lot for you, people yeah. who, work still there, who still work there. Yeah. 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 Sucks. Yeah. It's always fun when it's, you know, the options are both terrible. You can either get laid off and not have a job or still work at a shitty place that has been bought by a vampiric corporation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, like... I feel like working that job was, it really, like, codified that, is that, am I, am I using that word right? It, like, helped me articulate a lot of the things that I had sort of noticed about working in general. Like, I always noticed that, like, my concerns as a worker were always sort of, like, the least important, even though I was literally, like, me and the other workers were, like, you couldn't function without us. Like, yeah. You- <laughs> I know that this is like super, super basist, or sorry, super basic Marxist shit to like anybody else, but like <laughs> I haven't read a Marx book since like 10th grade when I was asked to read the Communist Manifesto and I went through grad school and I still haven't read anything by Marx. So like, damn. <laughs> it was an accomplishment, yeah. But like, it sort of just like ripped the ripped the cover off of a lot of stuff, like where I was just like, oh, these people don't care about me. They don't actually care about being fair. They care about being perceived as good bosses, weirdly enough. Uh, like, they want people to think well of them, but they don't necessarily want to be good. Like, they don't want to do anything that is going to make me actually, like, have faith in them or their judgments or their decisions. Right. Just out of curiosity, I don't And you know, the answer might just be straight up, and, like, nah, but, <laughs> like, uh, did you, like, have any, like, big, like, labor organizing wins that you, like? Oh, definitely. Okay, so the the union that I helped organize at Divi, when we had our union election after, uh, I think it was like two months after we filed, like we filed for an election and then your company basically, like the National Labor Relations Board puts a date on your union election. It's usually about two months down the road, which is you generally like given as time for your employers to convince everybody that a union is the worst possible thing. Uh, and they went really hard on my coworkers and I, um, like it was an extremely stressful couple of months. I was super isolated. Like a lot of people in my work were talking utter trash about me. And some of them were just like screaming in my face, but we managed. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. This was supposed to be like, Hey, did you have any wins? <laughs> <laughs> But that's no, I mean that's this is part of the win, I'm sure. Like it is. It's, it's also useful context. Like this well, this shit is hard. It's really hard. And also the win is that we we did win our election by one vote. Damn. So yeah, so we won we won our union and a year and a half later. Like this is the problem with like union narratives. It's just like it took a lot of suffering and pain and hard work, and then a year and a half later you had a contract that was 
decent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because like, especially when you're starting out, like you always have to, you have to start from somewhere and usually the summer kind of sucks and you kind of have to consistently build. There's not like a big, a big win really in a lot of union cases. And actually for most of the last like 65 years, there's been a lot of like losses. Yeah. But other things that happened um, when I was uh, part of the negotiations team for the graduate teaching assistance coalition, which was the labor union that I worked at at the university of Kansas. Like we managed to actually get a lot of really great stuff into our contract, including like guaranteed raises for three years um, at a time when oh, like, yeah the university was just like threatening to shrink everybody's budget hey bud you want to come up and hang out i mean that is yeah that is dope that like i I got sort of radicalized in college and undergrad uh i went to santa cruz and Mm. there was um it was yeah oh nine i think Mm -hmm. and yeah there was a a pre-occupy occupation of the grad student commons and like yeah after watching them use the recession as an excuse to uh like triple or like yeah raise tuition by 32 percent on all new incoming students and shit like that oh my god yeah (laughs) so yeah university university labor shit is is my jam (laughs) yeah it's like really really interesting right now too and like interesting in a good way and also interesting in a lot of really terrible ways (laughs) like Mm -hmm. where the nlrb is just like and like the white house administration keeps trying to like walk back like any potential wins that like grad students have gotten through really hard organizing and strikes and like sick outs and all of this other stuff um, because they really don't want students to ever think that they're also workers. They want yeah. to just be like, oh no, education is pure. Like, motherfucker, I was teaching. <laughs> I graded like 60 papers in a single weekend. Like, no, <laughs> that's not how this works. That shit is labor. It's labor. And it's work. Yeah. I guess it's important to let listeners know that you're very unfortunate right now because Nino's cat is... Uh, just chilling right in the camera and is the cutest uh. his name is morty we adopted him uh i think like a month ago now mm-hmm. he was he was nibs uh he belonged to my partner's ex-roommates um and they suck well no just the one person <laughs> who was neglecting him really sucked um and now he's just chill here and he has a cute little bow tie on as well got bees mm-hmm. on it morty this is your big debut I want to say anything? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yes. Morty has exited. Um, just to like, yeah, before we wrap up, to, to ask sort of a more uh, craft question about Finna. Um, if I were to break it down, it would be like sort of set up three big set pieces in the multiverse and then sort of a, a denouement or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce words. Um, you know, a thing after the big thing where the it cools down kind of um <laughs> yeah i think that's the technical definition nailed it um but when you were like when you were writing the book did you have that structure in mind or was that just sort of like did that come naturally i guess i'm asking for you to talk about craft and finna um <laughs> yeah absolutely um so i think i mentioned this already but i originally wrote finna as a screenplay um so i wrote this as part of uh like screenplay writing workshop that i was in um uh, when i was at the university of kansas like finishing up my mfa and so i really did set out trying to just like one write well it was supposed to be a short film it ended up being like 65 pages which is not which is no longer a short film it's basically a feature film um but i was also trying to like lean really hard into a couple different things like one was like yeah there's like set pieces because i was literally thinking of like okay so we moved from like this set to this set to this set to this set like um and when i was trying to like basically adapt uh the screenplay into a novella i feel like a lot of that ended up carrying over like it's very much like a three-act structure you know um because hold on my cat is like being a dick i'll be right back (laughs) yeah so this is very much like conceived and written in a three-act structure um you know it's got an inciting incident it has like a rising action it has a big climactic finish and then it has like you said the 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 denouement (laughs) (laughs) the thing that happened after the thing Mm -hmm. um so when I was like translate or not translating, when I was adapting this from a screenplay into a into a novella, like 
a lot of that carried over because like I was literally like basically the screenplay ended up just being like a really extensive outline that I had luckily the action uh, and uh, most of the dialogue already written out and a lot of the sort of like key visuals of it. The biggest thing that I had to really work with and fill in were the like the characters um, because you know with film actors do so much of the character work like you kind of give them like the basics and then they are the person like they are the force that is actually creating a character that audiences are interested in nobody can do that when you're looking at a novel <laughs> like yeah <laughs> like when you're writing prose it's just you um so i had to like do a lot of work with the characters uh descriptions and then also especially with like ava i had to do a lot of her interiority and just kind of like really fill in a lot of that arc as well um that we were talking about with like her mental health and this relationship as well so yeah like w- the other thing that happens with film is that it feels like you can't really like start and stop the way that you do with prose like you don't have like a it's weird in film to have like a fade to black it's it's there it's very purposeful and you sort of know that it's there like it's it's it really is disruptive like and usually it's disruptive on purpose like it's giving people like a beat to kind of just like relax after something so there feels like that kind of carried into the pace a little bit with the with Finnell where it's just like this is literally like start of the novel to like almost the end of the novel is about what like it's a couple hours in, yeah <laughs> in real time <laughs> um honestly it's probably like if you just timed what people were going through it'd probably be about an hour and a half like so it does feel like it kind of ends up feeling a little bit like things keep happening and happening and happening and happening there's only a couple of like a couple of scenes that i wrote in there where it's just like okay we we need to take a break and i need to rest and i need to talk about like you know infinite iterations across the vast universe and space and time and whatever <laughs> and also your big gay feelings <laughs> yeah yeah. I also just remembered that not long after I first read this book, I bought a, a bed from Ikea. And I can I can confirm that you can read Finna in a shorter amount of time than it takes to <laughs> build an Ikea bed. Um. I feel like that should be one of the uh, one of the like pull quotes on here. Quicker than putting an Ikea bed together. <laughs> and way more gratifying, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's nice to have a bed frame, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so do you wanna do you wanna hop into the final reading? Sure, that sounds good. Hell yeah. Okay, so this is yes, this is chapter two. So this is after they have found out that there has there's definitely a wormhole and they didn't really know what else to do, so Ava just told her manager. And now the manager, like so many of our corporate employers, is responding by playing a instructional video. <laughs> the video began with a click and a whir. Static flickered in lines across the screen, then cleared, but the color was still slightly off, oversaturated and alien. Yellow letters traveled across the screen, marquee style. Moskalkdu. Below it, in subtitles, wormholes, and you. The Linvold logo appeared at the bottom of the screen as a man and woman walked into the shot. Judging by their hair and fashion, this video had been made before Ava was born. They both wore polo shirts, and Linvold's signature sky blue with yellow and crimson accents, tucked into unflattering khakis with pleats where no pleats should ever be. Their hair didn't seem to move, stuck in helmet-like structures to their scalps, which made the rest of their faces look weirdly mobile. Their voices were overdubbed. Badly. What's up, amigos? said the pallid white man. His voice was a cross between Wolf of Wall Street and California Beach Bum. I'm Mark. And I'm Dana, warbled the blonde. Is Dana drunk? Ava whispered to one of her co-workers. The co-worker rolled his eyes and didn't say anything. Mark spoke again. We're here to tell you what to do if a wormhole opens up on your ship. Mark spoke only in exclamation points. His voice was far more energetic than the actor, who was bland in that vaguely Scandinavian way, an off-brand Mads Mikkelsen with all the interesting bits piled off. First, we should get our disclaimer out of the way, Dana said in her wobbly nasal whine. She had an affected mid-Atlantic accent, like she was auditioning for a minor role in Breakfast at Tiffany's. The original actress moved with the confidence and poise of a piece of seaweed that had washed ashore. Linvald accepts no responsibility or liability for any losses or injuries that wormholes incur since they fall under the Act of God clauses on our employee insurance. This training video does not replace the longer and more in-depth training for our Finna division. Trisha bent over and skipped ahead on the video, speeding through what looked like several more minutes of banter and or legalese. The Finna divisions were made redundant during the recession. Each store handles the Moscow's in-house now. She restarted the video on a close-up of Mark. That's out of the way. It's time for a short physics lesson. In physics, the term quantum entanglement refers to particles that are linked in strange ways that we don't entirely understand, but that we can measure. Mark's pallid face with his receding hairline faded into a cheesy animation. 
Two blobs appeared on the screen, one a dusky pink, the other a sky blue. Ava could guess what was happening next, but that didn't stop the physical pain of actually watching it happen. The pink blob grew eyes with heavy lashes, two spots of reddish purple appearing on what could generously be called its cheeks. The blue blob also grew eyes, along with a heavy brow and, God save them all, a handlebar mustache. Then the two blobs began flirting, cooing and blowing kisses at each other. It was the most obnoxiously heterosexual thing Ava had seen since the last St. Patrick's Day parade. Even across vast distances of space and time, Dana said in a dreamy voiceover, the two blobs were torn away from each other, flung to opposite sides of the screen with a crude galaxy projected between them. Good, Ava thought savagely as the blobs squeaked in distress. Entangled particles find ways of reconnecting, intoned Dana, and the two blobs snaked out long, ghostly limbs toward each other, joining hands across the galaxy. They burbled happily, and Ava rolled her eyes. This video is making me gayer out of spite, Jules muttered, clear even from the other side of the room. That's where I'm going to end. <laughs> Thank you. It's so good. I, I'm probably going to edit out my very quiet laughter that entire time. But yeah, <laughs> I was I was just giggling that entire time. Can you um. can you also just... Maybe we can just do like a blooper reel of me trying to say the word blob. <laughs> Blue blob blooper reel. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck pink blobs. Is, yeah. yeah. Fuck these the heterosexual... Fuck these heteronormative... <laughs> blobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay so how can people support you um obviously by finna um it's out and it's been out since i don't know january or something like that so you uh, can probably find it finna's been out since february so you can definitely buy it um uh, obviously i prefer if you buy it in a local bookstore or through bookshop.org it honestly does not make a difference at all in my uh what are those things called royalties oh right royalties <laughs> <laughs> so yeah buy finna wherever you can um obviously you can buy it online uh through those other evil corporations as well if that's something you need to do um mm-hmm. blessings upon you i will cast no judgment um you can also buy uh, my other book um i have uh, a s- collection of short stories that's called homesick that was released by um a small press called Desank. they're fantastic you can also order that however you like to order your books what else uh i think there might be a reorder like available for finna's sequel as well i am not 100 percent sure but that's a great place to you know also maybe get my publisher excited about publishing it again so where else uh if you want i live on twitter unfortunately i keep telling myself <laughs> i'm gonna quit but it's we're in a we're in a codependent relationship me and twitter Twitter.com. Uh, my username there is just Nino Cipri at Nino Cipri. I think that's kind of the main ones. I have a Patreon, but because I am like, you know, in deadline hell, it has, it is currently on hiatus as well. But if you want to read my weird short stories, uh, right now, well, before all of this happened and I was super distracted, I was writing some fan fiction of my Dungeons and Dragons character. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Uh, I do also have a newsletter that's called Cool Story Bro, um, uh, which is unfortunately also on hiatus while I am writing all of the other things at the moment um but that is where i get really nerd like really nerdy about narrative structure like so if you want like some real wonky newslettering (laughs) that is like what i do there um i've been working on a newsletter for like two and a half months about the barrier gaze trope uh particularly in horror uh and particularly particularly in the film version of it chapter two which I got so mad about and I just had to write it. <laughs> like, I got I got mad about it like six months after I saw it. I got yeah. really mad about it when I saw it. And then like, you know, six months later, I was just like, wait a fucking minute. That was garbage. <laughs> I got to write about it. And then there was a then there was like all this other stuff happened. So I'm still writing about it. Um, is the Patreon also Nino Cipri? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The best way to find like all of these places is just literally go to my website which is ninocipri.com. Um, and then I have links to everything there. And you can also, like, if you want to, like, be like, what the hell were you talking about on the on Bee's podcast? I didn't quite understand you because you were interrupting yourself or laughing <laughs> awkwardly. Uh, you can also email me there if that's a thing you want to do. Fuck yeah. This, this, is, this is what being on the internet looks like. Just being like, <laughs> fuck it. Send me emails. I don't care. <laughs> what? I work from home now. What, what yeah. am I going to do? <laughs> Help me procrastinate on my on Finna sequel. So it'll take even longer for the next sequel to come out where we do finally find out about Ava and Jules because your mom 
mom has been <laughs> like so insistent. Uh, like, please don't give her any ideas. She <laughs> she like will start up a campaign. <laughs> She'll be really nice and really cute about it, and I will buckle because I have no spine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Change.org for Avon Jewels Part Two. Uh, oh my god! Please don't. Just write fan fiction. <laughs> That's what fan fiction is for. That's that is a that is a strong argument, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you tell me what you think happened to Angel's. Well, um, <laughs> I have here in my hand. Um, <laughs> oh god! If I if I if somebody actually does hand me like fan fiction, I don't know. I actually don't know what I would do. <laughs> this has never happened to me before. That feels like a very fraught interaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very fraught possible interaction. Man. A lot of a lot of yeah, a lot of potentials there. Yeah, somebody um, came up to me after a panel that I did at, what is it, AWP, which is this, like, massive, uh, like, creative writing conference that's mostly for, like, literary fiction, but I was on a panel about queer horror? Queer something, at least. And then they were like, hey, did you write this one fanfic? And I was like, uh, yeah. (laughs) And they were like, it made me want to be an English major, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) But also like, wow, thank you. Oh god, I don't know what to say to that. Thank you so much. That is a lot. And yeah, and very cute. And I'm sure that was a super meaningful interaction for that person also. And I mean, it's like wonderful to like ever hear that anything that you ever wrote meant something to somebody. But I was like, and like, I, I but I've like prepared myself to handle that with like the stuff that I've written under my name that I've published. And then for somebody to be like, hey, that, that like, uh, that one fanfic that you wrote, like, <laughs> like back in... Was it like 2012 or something? 2011 maybe? It made me cry a lot. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, anything that I ever practiced, like, did not prepare me for that. But it was wonderful. Oh, God, I really hope that person is listening to your podcast right now and be like, oh, no, should I have not? Like, no, you should have, please. It's okay. Yeah, it's very nice to hear from people that they've enjoyed a thing you've done, um, as long as they're not creepy about it. Yeah, I am just also from New England, so, like, I, I can't say anything that I've done is good, and I also can't, hearing anybody ever say something that I did is nice, it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> I can't, I can't sound ungrateful, but again, I'm really not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of appreciating people, um, we want to say, as usual, thank you to WJ for the music for the episode and to Noah Bradley uh, for the art. NoahBradley.com for Noah, uh, SoundCloud for WJ. Um, you can find this podcast on Twitter at SpectologyPod. You can email us at SpectologyPod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Ben Laden. Patreon the same. Fuck 12. And thank you for coming on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This is super this fun. Is, yeah, this is genuinely very fun and i'm so glad i got to talk to you about your book that i love a lot i am following you on twitter right now (laughs) 